Hello and welcome back to Savage Yoga Snacks, the podcast for freaks, geeks, outcasts of yoga, and our allies. I'm your host, Steph Savage, and today I'm going to tell you about a time I let my ego take over and became the villain in someone else's story. You've probably heard this line before. We're the hero of our own story. It makes sense. We are the main character, after all, so why would we be anything but? The hero gets all the fame and glory. Of course, if we're the hero, then someone else must be the villain, right? The clown that cut you off in traffic is the antithesis to your heroic choice to wait your turn before merging. The argument you had with your boss clearly cements your heroic standing amongst you and all of your loyal co-working subjects. But what happens when the cape falls from our backs and we are left with a mess that we created and a broken heart standing in front of us? In a previous episode, I hinted at a time when I caused some harm and became the villain of the story. Today, I'm going to tell you what happened. Be fair warned, this is not a pretty tale, and I will disclose it with raw honesty without sugar or excuses on my behalf. If you happen to know me in the outside world, your good opinion may sour, and that's okay. I'm human, and I will continue to mess up again and again and again and again. I had just completed my first ever yoga training, and I was eager to get out into the yoga world to prove myself. Words like asana and sun salutation swirled inside my head as I ventured out into a community that I so desperately wanted acceptance into. My hopes of belonging came to an abrupt halt upon my first entrance into a conventional yoga space as a teacher. I quickly learned that traditional yoga spaces were not meant for weird, fat, inflexible, queer me, and I pivoted desperately searching for a home to call my own. I soon discovered two places that seemed to fit just right, a local community center and a small yoga studio. I began to carve out a little niche in my community, and it felt great. My confidence was growing, and unbeknownst to me, my ego was inflating right alongside it. Six months into teaching, the safe little world I had created would come crashing down. A new friend of mine at the time had expressed some interest in joining one of my classes, but he was nervous he wouldn't be able to, quote, do the poses. Feeling ever the expert and masking my own deep insecurities, I assured him he would be fine and signed him up for the class. We arrived early and I showed him around the studio. I got him settled on a mat and gave him a brief rundown of what to expect. He had engaged in some minor movement in the past, he said, 
but never yoga. So he expressed he was feeling a little insecure and asked a few follow-up questions. Feeling my ego bruised, I dismissed his concerns and assured him that I knew best. I was the teacher after all. Ego still very bruised. I started class and I singled him out right away by name at the very beginning. I then made a joke about how inflexible he was. He shot me a nervous glance, but I ignored it and kept laughing along with the rest of the class at his expense. After a grounding exercise, we moved on to a breath, and I asked the students to take it while seated. I made an offhand comment about how my friends struggled to sit upright. So if anyone is rigid like him... Feel free to use the wall for support. Another laugh, drawing the rest of the class into my cruelty. And my friend stopped making eye contact. It continued this way throughout the entire class. Me making fun of him every chance I got, feeding my hungry ego and shrinking that insecure voice in my own head. We made our way into down dog pose. Now, if you have tight hamstrings, this may start to bring up unpleasant memories for you. It does for me. My friend was struggling with this pose. And instead of guiding him or helping him, I loudly said, You're not even trying. And I told him, If you can't do it, then just give up. He dropped to his knees, made his way into child's pose, and didn't move again. One of the other students let out a little snicker. All fun and games, right? As I started Shavasana, my friend got up and headed toward the bathroom. I caught a glimpse of his face. Tears were running down his cheeks. I had succeeded in humiliating him. My ego got exactly what it wanted. The burning sense of shame I felt was almost overwhelming. I ended the class with a quick bow, cheeks as bright as fire. The other students, unaware of the damage I had just done to somebody I cared about, left with smiling faces. And thanks for a great class. I waited for my friend to leave the bathroom. But he didn't come out. I swallowed my fear of what comes next. And I knocked lightly on the door. Everything okay? I asked in a feeble attempt at concern. And the door whipped open. The tears had been replaced with anger. And he left the studio without another word or glance in my direction. The very first limb in the eight limbs of yoga or eight aspects of yoga practice are the yamas or the five social ethics. These are a set of rules to live by in yoga philosophy, our commandments, if you will. Of the yamas, the very first is ahimsa, roughly translated to nonviolence, non-harm, or loving-kindness, which we've spoken of in a previous episode. 
This is the idea that one should do no harm and practice kindness with those around us, as well as ourselves. The second is satya, or truthfulness, which is self-apparent. These two yamas are the foundation on which all other yoga philosophy stands upon, and mine was cracked and crumbling. I had failed to uphold the first in my treatment of my friend, and the second in my stubborn unwillingness to be honest about my own limitations. A number of studies integrating yoga into incarceration settings have found a reduction in criminality, particularly violent and antisocial behaviors. One such study conducted by R. Ramados and B. Bose, published in the International Journal of Yoga Therapy, looked at reducing stress and improving self-control in vulnerable and incarcerated youth. They found that a routine consisting of yoga poses, asana, breathing techniques, pranayama, and meditation, or dhyana, can reduce perceived stress and increase self-control and self-awareness in at-risk and incarcerated youth. Another study carried out by Shaki Kowalski et al. set out to determine if yoga can overcome criminality and the impact of yoga on recidivism in Israeli prisons. Their study concluded that yoga may impact recidivism, supported by their finding of lower reoffending rates among released prisoners who had practiced yoga during their time in prison compared with the matched control group. They did, however, highlight that further study was needed, including randomized control trials, but they were encouraged by the positive results. Overall, these studies and countless others show promising research into the positive effects of yoga and mindfulness practices on criminality. Although I am far from a criminal, I stand before you naked and completely without excuse or reason for terrible behavior that resulted in hurt feelings and a loss of trust. I belittled, embarrassed, humiliated, and abused my friend, all for the sake of my ego, spurred on by a deep insecurity of not being good enough. I wish that was an excuse I could use, but here is the simple truth. I hurt my friend. And there is no excuse for what I did. I can happily say that since that fateful day, I have grown. I took a step back from the mat and I jumped headfirst into philosophy, education, and self-practice. I shed the title of expert and I humbly accepted the label of student forever. I realize how little I know now and I try to never take the knowledge I do have for granted. I continue to make lots of mistakes, only now I use those moments to learn and grow and practice true ahimsa and satya with others and myself. As for my friend, well, I reached out to them after the dust had settled and I apologized for everything. They let me know that they can never forgive me, but wish me well. And they deserve to heal in their own way without me. And that's okay. I am no longer a character in their story. But I will never forget the day I became the villain 
of my own. And now it's time for a yoga snack to get you through to your next coffee break. Today we will look at another pranayama or breath exercise called Brahmari breath or bee breath. Find a comfortable seated or reclined position for your body. Start by noticing the natural rhythm of your breath as you inhale and exhale. Again, inhale and exhale. After a few breaths, we'll begin to extend our exhale by letting out a slow hum, like the sound of a bumblebee. See if you can begin to breathe in and out through just your nose. Feel free to increase the number of rounds as your practice of this breath becomes more regular. Notice as you breathe a connection to the positive vibration of the universe. An optional mudra. Place your thumbs in your ears to gently close off external sound while the index fingers rest just above the eyebrows and the rest of your fingers gently place them softly over the eyes and beside the nose. Return back to the natural rhythm of your breath. Brahmari breath can help to soothe the mind. May create a feeling of happiness. Can help to relieve anxiety and stress. Increases nitric oxide and sinus ventilation. 
and may help to temporarily reduce blood pressure. That's all the time we have for today, friends. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, even villains have feelings. So let's all try to be a little nicer to one another. You never know when your cape will fall. As always, stay weird. Stay weird.